Let's, uh, let's pray before we get in, into this. Father, I, I ask that you would just bless us tonight with the understanding of your word. I pray that you would open it, that we might have discernment, that we might have wisdom and understanding and rightly divide the word of truth. We don't want to get carried away with, with phenomenal thinking, but Father, we want to be established in right thinking. We want to be established in your word. And I pray, Father, that the wisdom would be given us by the Holy Spirit tonight, and that we might be taught by Him. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The remnant. What is the remnant? God always works in a remnant. And I think if we look at God's Word and we see what a remnant is, we can, we can, if we can identify the remnant and see what a remnant is, we can den- identify the falsity that surrounds the remnant. You know, there's a saying that says, whenever there's the real thing, there's always a counterfeit. And God deals with the remnant. A remnant is the true in the midst of the surrounding falsehood. Those that are, that are committed to Him. You know, like my, my pastor used to tell, um, tell us, you know, you, again, you're going to be surprised at who's there, but you're going to be more surprised at who's not there. You know? Um, so we want to be students of His Word and, and rightly divide it. So we're going to be hearing about the word remnant, how God is working remnant, even in His own people, Israel. You know, there's a remnant. A remnant of Israel will be saved. You know, only a third of Israel will come through at the end of the tribulation, a third that will recognize Jesus Christ as their long-awaited Messiah that will come through his rod of, of, of judgment, if you will, and cleansing. And we'll get into that when we're in Zechariah. It's beautiful. And we, as the remnant, are the bride of Christ, uh, always cleansing us, washing us with the water of the Word, and so forth. It's just a beautiful picture of, of how God he knows his own. You know, the Bible says that God knows his own. And let everybody that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So you see this attitude of departing from iniquity and being attached to him, that remnant is, is a concept all the way through the scripture. And once we get an understanding of that, we can start seeing the true from the false. Micah 3 these faithless leaders, these leaders that, that are wishy-washy, uh, the rebuke. <laughs> and I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh for the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, because they have been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Look at verse 6 and 7. Therefore you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets. That is an amazing statement. 
you know, man in all his pompous uh, this, you know, the sun never sets on the, on, you know, the British Empire or, or what have you. When God says in a statement like this, Woe to them, watch out, the sun will go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. Verse 7, So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abased. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. Remember when Saul was, uh, wasn't getting any answer from the Lord? And he was being encroaching in by his enemies. And, and by this time, Samuel had left him and, and had died. And he was not getting any answer from, uh, in, by dreams or by prophets or by his Urim. You know, Urim and the, the robe that they put on as the priest. He wasn't getting any, any answers. The scripture says, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, by the prophets. And immediately, what did Saul do? He goes to the Endor, the medium at Endor, or the witch at Endor, whatever you, you happen to, to say. He immediately goes and, and he it's the same over and over again. I thought that's pretty interesting. Saul. That's what happens when we try to be like the world. You know, the Israelites broke Samuel's heart. Because Samuel had a heart for the Lord, and Samuel, when they wanted a king, was so broken that God had to say to him, Look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Do we have a heart for God like that? There's no answer from God. The ones who are supposed to be speaking in the place of God or for God. There's ones that are supposed to love good and hate evil. The ones that are supposed to do justice and shun, uh, you know, injustice are the very ones that were doing the opposite. They were robbing the people. They were raking the people. And then they were crying to the Lord. You know, the Bible says if we regard iniquity on our heart, the Lord doesn't hear. You know, that goes for the Christian as well, you know. Doesn't mean that we're we've lost our sonship. It doesn't mean that we're not children of God. We know better than that by now. Although some uh, wayward teachers do teach that, that is not so. But if we allow sin in our life unconfessed, don't expect God to have a ready answer for you. He is going to most of the time be aloof and allow His working pressure, if you will, or lack thereof, to get your attention. That's how much God loves you. When my kids were little, there were certain things that they did once in a while um, that I didn't really appreciate. And instead of always being on them and wanting to, you know, spank them all the time, although, you know, I fortunately never much said, I learned from my dad to stay silent. And I knew my kids enough when they knew that I knew that what they were doing wasn't right and I wasn't uh, astute to it, and I stood aloof and stayed silent, they knew I was displeased. And a lot of times as Christians, when we allow sin in our life, that's what God will do. That's what he did to David. David did all those horrible things, and he, and he, and, uh, and he, he didn't confess them, and he concealed them. And he said the pressure got to him so bad that it was like literally the drought was going out. He couldn't stand it anymore. And then right at the point that it was about to break God in his mercy... He knows exactly 
when to intercede, when to come. Sent Nathan the prophet, and, and what did David say? It was just like, it was like he was renewed. But that wasn't the case here. These prophets went and went and went and falsified uh, the word of the Lord. They weren't ashamed of what they were doing. They weren't ashamed that they were speaking false peace when there is no peace. You know, these minor prophets, most of them were sent with a specific prophecy, with a specific thing that God wanted to say. Reverse yourself, reverse yourself, because judgment is coming. And they, they, it happened to Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah would say, thus say the Lord, you know, judgment is coming. And they said, we don't want to hear this guy. Put this guy away from us. And they would say, peace, peace. And Jeremiah would say, they're saying peace when there is no peace. So God's dealing with here. And by the way, you don't think that these prophecies were very minutely fulfilled, the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivities both. The Babylonian captivity and the Syrian invasion are both mentioned by Micah. They both came to pass, but yet in the midst of this prophet Micah, like a lot of the minor prophets, he prophesied of a future deliverance, of a remnant coming out where God would, uh, would cleanse and would restore. That's why we start in the book of Daniel. Because in it we realize that Daniel was given the prophecy that all these prophecies hang and, and fulfill. Daniel's like, the way I look at Daniel is like a huge shell of prophecy. And it's stuffed with all the minor prophets with little details and little avenues of the final fulfillment. You know, Daniel said that there's going to be a 70th week. There's going to be a 70th week. And in the middle, that's what I love about him. And in the middle of that 70th week, that's, that's when God is going to intervene in the affairs of men and judgment is going to exact. What do we have today? We have false prophets. We have false teachers say, judgment? Are you kidding me? There is no judgment. We're not looking for judgment. We're looking for, you know, revival and, and all these things. And, and uh, the church is looking for Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist, you know, but we're looking for Christ to take us out of this world that we, as his bride, might be with him. You know, one of the things that that is, is the most crowning glory of a man going through life, and again, I learned this by several people, is having a wife that's by him and, and, and seeing him be the head of the family, seeing him execute his fatherhood and his, and his husbandhood and his right and his protector of, you know, what woman doesn't love the protection of her man? What woman doesn't love the, the protection of the emotional, the spiritual, the, the cleansing, protection of a man? Where do, where do you think people get that? It's from God. And as the church is taken out as his remnant and, and are with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll get into the book of Revelation, we'll spend a lot of time on this, they're going to behold his glory, not, as, not only the marriage supper of the Lamb, can you imagine that? But coming back with him and seeing the retribution that he uh, dishes out to these nations. And I'll tell you, his word is forever settled in heaven. What we learn down here, what we glean down here, what we know to be true down here, we will see an ultimate fulfillment. So we should know the Bible here. We should anticipate it. These false prophets. He says in verse 8, But truly I am full of power. By the Spirit of the Lord, 
and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is Micah speaking now. That is what any true prophet does. That's why we're here. That's what any good teacher does. An evangelist is there not to pronounce a, a good, beautiful, coming world and all this. A, a, a good, uh, biblical evangelist, prophet, if you will, not in the sense of the Old Testament, but in the sense of the fourth tongue of the Word of God, is that turn from your sin. Judgment is coming. But Jesus Christ took your judgment if you will receive his forgiveness that he has already made peace. All we must do is receive it. Make it our own. That's the gospel. So Micah breaks in and says, Again, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel's sin. Verse 9, Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay. Doesn't that sound familiar? Her prophets divine for money. You know, fortune telling divination was is uh, something that is strictly uh, forbidden. Necromancy or fortune telling or wizards or, you know, um, strictly, strictly forbidden. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, Balaam and, and so forth. It's, it's just rampant. But look at the end of verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come to us. Is not the Lord among us? We're putting on a, a priestly turban and the garments, and we pay priestly business to God, but our heart's far from Him. We love evil. We hate the good. We prefer justice. But hey, God is, is among us. No harm can come upon us. As Israel was asleep in the light, so is this church, not this church, but the church at large. That's what makes the remnant different, my friends. That's what makes the remnant different. And I urge you on and on, as long as we have breath, forsake your sin and turn to the Savior. Follow Him. Be blameless with God. Walk in His ways. Do His will. Do His bidding. Forget the things of this world. This world is passing away. And all the pleasures in it. You know, before I go any further, I I, uh, I I just Paul says something, and we all have known it. We studied it not long ago, but it's in Second Timothy chapter three, and I want to point something out. But know this: that in the last days, this Second Timothy three one. If if you go there, if not, you're taking notes. Think about this. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, pride, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. I love the term irreconcilable. 
Are we different than what they were? Does this sound any different? Wait till we get to verse 5 and we'll really see what I'm talking about. Verse 4 says, Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, invite to your home. Copy their lifestyle. Avoid them. Turn away from them. People that profess to be Christians, profess a form of, of, of this godliness in this 21st century that is ripe and heading for judgment, but they deny the power thereof. They constantly are ensnared by sin. They can't seem to get away from anything. You want to know a true Christian? Go into their home. Check them out in the home. See how they really are in the morning. How they treat their spouse, their kids, their mate. You know, that is... And we see what's happening here. And yet they say, hey, the Lord's among us. I'm a Christian. You know? Surely the Lord won't touch Israel. Peter said about us. He said, judgment begins in the household of God. And if it begins at us, what's going to happen to those outside? Wow. The prophets, they speak. This is what's going on. But God promises, in the midst of all this, He promises Israel its greatest exaltation, as C.I. Schofield is fond of saying. Isn't that amazing? Its greatest exaltation is going to come when the king himself comes back. Let's go on. Wow. Verse 9, I'll hear this, you heads again, house of Jacob and rules the house of Israel, poor justice, pervert all equity. Again, verse 10, build up Zion, bloodshed, Jerusalem when iniquity, your heads judge, your heads, that's like head of states or the heads of, of their tribes. Judge for a bribe, or priests teach for pay. Prophets divine for money, yet they lean on the Lord. Again, say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Wow, that's delusional. Therefore, because of you, verse 12, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. You know, it's amazing. As I, I looked at that, I, I can see you know, several times through Israel's history this happening, but out of the four or five different commentators I looked at, most of them see this fulfillment in 70 AD. And they use Luke chapter 21 and so forth for, for that. Which, if you look at Luke, Luke chapter 21 regarding that, it's a little bit different than Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse, but yet we see in this that God is dealing with his people. You know, that's not that long ago. You know? Um, America needs to heed this message today. I'm sorry if this offends uh, some, but they're especially hearing on the internet, but we scandal all through the week. Then we pay lip service on Sunday, or worse, we pay homage to the false gods of materialism. And we still say, we're Christians.
are we? What is the true biblical definition of a Christian? Biblically, the clearest I can see is Paul's declaration in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you cannot claim that for your life, you are not a biblical Christian. I can't, and we should, and we cannot judge who's born again. That's not for us to judge. But I, I say this, that we might, we might examine ourselves. Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, I believe it is. Am I right? Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. And that's not just a, uh, that is a, is an admonition of love to us. You know, would you want to get married to your betrothed, not knowing for sure if they really love you or not? You want to know for sure. And when we come to Christ, we know for sure that He loves us because He demonstrated it. You know how we love, we show our love for Christ? We give all to Him. Our life now is not our own. It's His. Our, my life belongs to Him. Wow. You need to heed that. You know, I was hearing today that... Uh, you know, it's it's coming down to where um, a lot of people in in the upper upper echelon, upper Congress, and whatever, want to make it to where, especially in the UN, where you know, hate speech. We're talking about speech against Islam, um, you know, and then then we're also talking about you know, speech from the pulpits about uh, you know the lesbian gay movement and all this stuff, and and uh, you know, I got to thinking about that, you know, and and whatever happens. Um, do we judge ourselves? Do we examine our own lives? Because if we don't, we're hypocrites. Jesus said, clean out the inside of the dish that the outside may be clean also. I don't have to sit here and label somebody else and get down on somebody else when my life may not be blameless before the Lord. Does somebody have, if somebody caught you doing something, could they, could they accuse you of it? Do you give the devil, your adversary, accuses you night and day before the Father in heaven, do you give him help? Are you hiding something? These people were... Some of them were flagrant about it, and some of them weren't. Yet they said, the Lord's with us. Hey, we're Israelites. Let's not be uh, under this false delusion that just because we call ourselves Christians and Jesus is such a, a, a grace-giving uh, entity, if you will, and I say that because a lot of people treat it that way, that we can just sit here and not realize, I want my life to be pure and clean. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hey, there is no rivals in my marriage. That's nothing compared to, I don't want any rivals within my, in the temple of my God. And, by, and Paul says, you know how we get rid of it? We mortify the deeds of the body by the Spirit. I don't have the power, but he does. 
And he asks me, and he shows me, he shows me sin in my life and areas that must go. Let's don't fool ourselves with, well, you know, it's an addiction and God hasn't dealt with me that. God has dealt with you. You've died and you're a new creature. If you're a new creature, there is no sin in your life that God hasn't dealt with. Don't let the devil rob you of joy. If you have sin in your life, get rid of it and confess it. That's what God is asking through the prophets and he's pleading constantly. He's pleading today. Get rid of your sin. Turn to Christ. Repent. Look at, look at chapter 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Wow, I love that. Here we go. I titled this chapter, The Promise of the Coming of God's Kingdom. The latter days. I want to I read uh, a couple scriptures. One from Deuteronomy 4. All the way back in Deuteronomy. One from Isaiah 2. But, but let's get this context here. Uh, real, you know, chapter 4, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow to it. What a concept. You announce that to the world today and the world will mock that and laugh at it. <laughs> Are you serious? Do you mean to tell me that, that these vermin, these people that should be out of the Middle East, that shouldn't even be there, are going to one day be the head and the, and not the tail. They're going to be in a kingdom that they're uh, theoretically involved in, and all the people are going to flow into it. Are you kidding me? Wait till we get to chapter 5. We can see why that's going to happen. But in the latter days, turn, to, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Keep your finger there. All the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll start at verse 25. We'll just read a few verses down. Wow. Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren, and have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything... And do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoke him to anger. Verse 26, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Now see, before I go on, some of these replacement teachers and some of my name you know very well say, well, no, all the promises were fulfilled when Joshua took them over the land. Is that true? Absolutely not. Moses is prophesying here in the days to come. Again, in verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess, and you will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. Verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord has driven you. Verse 28. And there you will serve gods and, and the work of men's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek with him with all your heart, with all your soul. 
when you are in distress and all these things come to pass, or excuse me, come upon you in the latter days. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, look at verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. Wow. Deuteronomy, way back. Let's go back to our turn to Isaiah chapter 2 real quick. Still got your finger in my mic, right? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 2, starting verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people, verse 3, shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. We also saw that we were when we were in the in the prophet Joel. I love that. Jacob, the house of Jacob. Remember what Jacob he was his name was changed to Israel. All the way through the Bible. You can't get around it. God is working with his people. From the moment that he called Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees started the Hebrew nation through this one man to 430 years of, of enslavement, brought them through the Red Sea, uh, sustained them through the wilderness, brought them to Sinai, gave them the law, let them be dispersed out of the land, let them raise up their own artillery or Pharisees and Sadducees, let them get their own rule, be oppressed by the Roman uh, oppression, if you will, then comes the Christ, as we'll see in the next chapter. How is all this going to be fulfilled? How is, how is the Davidic covenant going to be fulfilled? How is the kingdom going to be fulfilled? How is Israel going to be fulfilled? You know, without the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of David, Israel cannot have its fulfillment. That's why he's called the seed of David. Let's, let's, let's read into this. Wow, I get excited. We see at the end of verse 2, the word of the Lord is going to come from Jerusalem. Verse 3, He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Verse 3, again, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, I can't, I can't get around the fact that these prophets have a, an aim, if you will, and their aim is to glorify the Lord in His righteous right hand of judgment. Let me just read to you that same passage in the vernacular of Joel's definition. Joel says this, For behold, the days... 
in those days, and at that time I will bring back the captives of Judah. He's going to bring them back. He says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. He's going to bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Multitudes and multitudes will be in the valley of decision. The Lord says, I will break them down. Can you imagine in that day? You know, we were talking the other night with with some uh, friends of ours. You know, when, when the Lord takes away the restraining influence of the church. And why do we say that? We say that because what is restraining? And, and I think this will become clear as we go on in the prophets. Paul says that he who now lets or restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way, and then shall that lawless one be revealed. Lawlessness will run rampant. The, the catching away of the saints is going to cause such havoc and such, such uh, anarchy, if you will, in this world that paves the way for this man of sin, this, this beast, this antichrist. They need a, world, a man that can put things under control. The world will be in chaos. There needs to not only be a reason why something like that happened, but now a man to put under control. It's all fitting in. In the latter days. Wow. Sometimes it seems to be disconnected, doesn't it? But I guarantee you, once we end in Malachi, I, I, uh, I pray that all this will become clear. God's word is never meant to be read one section here, and a while later, one section there. God's word, I love, I believe, Leon gave the definition. God wrote it this way. We read it this way. We study it this way. This is what we do. And, and God will, has it such in a way that it will all fit together. You know, the prophets were perplexed. Peter says that the prophets were perplexed at what time that they were prophesying the Spirit of Christ for our benefit. You know, things that angels desire to look into. We're going to, at the end of, of the first chapter, First Peter, we talk about by this gospel is the word preached. Angels were desiring to look into it. A lot of times the prophets were perplexed of what's going on. But we have the benefit of having the whole rounded word of God. And we would do well to study. That's why we're studying these books like we are. The Bible is fascinating. I think men today in general in, the, in this, this false apostate church, um, they handle Christ loosely and, and without regard because they handle the word of God loosely without regard. They're too busy in their sin and their pleasure. And yet they still want to be called Christians. They don't want to go through judgment, but they don't want to go through chastisement. They don't want to go to judgment, but they don't want to get rebuked. They don't want to give up their pleasure. They want to have God in their pleasure too. But what they don't realize, and this is the lie of the church, what they don't realize is that when they have God, they have everything. They have the highest pleasure they know. You want to have pleasure? I'm a pleasure seeker. I certainly was before I became a Christian. I love pleasure of any type. Who doesn't? That pleasure I had before Christ is nothing compared to the joy that I have now. 
nothing. And the lie of the enemy will tell you that, hey, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too, man. You're a Christian, you know. What you do in private doesn't hurt anybody, does it? Oh, really? Some of the Bible says we're a part of the body of Christ. Once one suffers, the other part suffers too. Wow. He says in the end of verse 3, they shall not learn, they shall learn war, basically no more. Verse 4, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. No one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. No one shall make them afraid. Because of the Lord. You know that the Bible says that for us Christians, that perfect love casts out fear. you know why? Because fear involves torment or punishment. We should have fear in the Christian life. But look at verse 5. All people... For all people walk each in the name of his God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Harold Lenzel wrote about this verse. He says, All men are religious and will worship some God. If not the true God, it will be a false God, an idol. So which is it? Are you going to worship the Lord God or are you going to worship your sin and your idol? Don't get me wrong, once you're in Christ, you're in Christ forever. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about honoring the King of Kings. I love that. All men are religious and will worship some God. You know, I'll tell you, before, before I became a Christian, I never realized how much of an idol worshiper I was. Wow. I worship myself. I was talking to friends the other night, and I was a nice guy. I was a nice guy to you, so you would like me. I was a nice guy to that girl, so she would like me. I planned so I can live a comfortable life for me. Can't you see that you might be good and good and good, but at all points that you're good because you want you to benefit from it. You know? Or like Dave Hunt says about love, I love this. Love of the world says, you know what, I love me. So therefore, I want you. God's love knows no balance, knows nothing like that. I love you because I choose to love you. You don't have anything that I want. You don't have anything that I desire. But I choose to love you, and I want you, and I'm committed to you. All people will walk each in the name of his God. Verse 6, let's get going. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast. In that day, Israel is talking about regathered into her land. He says, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast to those whom I have afflicted. Look at verse 7, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even what? Forever. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, 27, So all Israel will be saved, as it is written, 
The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's going to reign over them forever. All Israel is going to be saved. The remnant of Israel, the ones who turn to him. Verse 8, And you, O tower of the flock, stronghold of daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now here's where we have an interesting interlude, if you will, a break in his prophecy. Look at verses 9 and 10 about the Babylonian uh, captivity. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered, and the Lord will redeem you from the land of your enemies. Or excuse me, from the hand of your enemies. You know what's amazing about that? Is that a hundred years or more before Judah was in Babylon, Micah prophesied of Babylon by name. That literally came to pass. The Assyrian invasion literally came to pass. Let's read on. Verse 11, Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. I love that. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, verse 13, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your host bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their grain to the Lord, and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people read into these things, uh, the gathering together uh, into the campaign of Armageddon. I, I tend to agree. One thing I love about the minor prophets is if you can take the the, for, the near fulfillment and you can see the far fulfillment, what a uh, understanding it is when we start reading um, in Revelation. You know, you go from Revelation chapter 9, 10, 11, 13, and on to 16, 18, 19, you start seeing uh, the judgments of God. You get into Revelation 19, and you start seeing the deliverance of God, and everything the prophets have spoken come together. Everything. I want to read Daniel chapter 2 real quick, regarding that, and then we'll, we'll, the next few minutes we'll touch on uh, chapter 5. Daniel chapter 2 Verse 44, listen to this. <laughs> let, me read, let me read the 13th verse of, the, of the Micah ch chapter 4, verse 13, the last verse again. And then we'll go and we'll read this part in Daniel, and this is interesting. Again, in verse 13, it says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their grain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45 reads this. 
And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone, verse 45, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is certain. Let me tell you, folks, there is no doubt that God is not only going to reign, but that he will be the king of the whole earth, and his people Israel will be exalted in that day. You see why there's so much anti-Semitic activity going on? You see why there's so much raging around the world to get rid of of this little uh, piece of real estate called Israel? We're in a spiritual warfare. We're we're seeing, you know, uh, you look at people like like Putin and, and you know Obama or or all these different people that are that are players in this in this game that that you know we're talking about globalism, we're talking about world economy, we're talking about world religion, we're talking about unifying you know of Europe, we're talking about all these things. And yet, God is using these as pawns. He's allowing this to fulfill itself. He's allowing sin to consummate itself. It's coming to a head, just like God said it would. And that little tiny uh, state of Israel is right there. And it's not going anywhere. And, And to me, that is a miracle. Before I get an end... With, with verse 2 of chapter 5, I cannot help but remember what Benjamin Netanyahu stated about that people must see and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob just because of the Jew of Israel. It's amazing. How do we know all this? Can you imagine if we didn't have the Bible? Wow, you know, this would be a really perplexing time, especially for the Christian. I, I you know... But we have the word. Let's get into it. Let's study it and and find out. Because without the word of God, would this world make sense? Like Jan Markell says, he's to the unbeliever, the world is falling apart. But to us, in Christ, it's coming together. (laughs) It's, It's awesome. It's coming together because God said it would. God's word. I declare the things from the beginning and the end. I declare those things I have not yet done. So that you may know, I am he. How many times in Isaiah alone does God say, you, talking about the Jews, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. You are. They are. The Jews. Anybody can see that there's something going on with the state of Israel. Gather yourselves in troops, chapter 5. O daughter of troops, he has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Interesting way to open up this chapter. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you... Bethlehem, Euphrates, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me 
the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Now let me give you some vernacular of this language that we're looking at here. This is amazing. This is how, you know, we, we know. How do we know that there's a triune God? How do we know that God is manifested in the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Let me read you something. They communicate with each other. When we, for example, in John 17, we see the Father talking very personally, or the Son talking very personally to his Father. And we can have other, other avenues in the New Testament Gospels where that's so. Jesus talked to his Father many times. We see in the Old Testament, in Zechariah, listen to this, it shall come, or it shall be in that day, that I will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem my spirit, of grace and supplication. Listen to this. And then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him. That's not vernacular, that language. They will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, and they will mourn for him. God speaking of himself being the redemptive arm of his people that realize that this is the one. And they will mourn for him as one grieves for an only son. Listen to the language here. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel. The Father is saying, one will, I will send one forth, and he will be ruler. He is my son. I get excited. Wow, the Bible. Skeptics, we need to be able to, to talk intelligently to the skeptics. I will say one more place about this. this I call it uh, just the way of language, the deity, if you will, the Godhead speaking in direct revelation to mankind. Another one, mark this down. Isaiah chapter 48 Verse 16, he says, Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. The language is so precise. Wow. You know, the child was born in Bethlehem. But the son is from everlasting. Right, C.I. Schofield. The child was born in Bethlehem, but the son is from everlasting. Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9. Unto us the son has been given. You know? Isaiah. Wow. We sing this at Christmas. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The son that was born of the Virgin Mary is none other than the Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, God with us. 
I remember we were talking to a university, uh, a campus. Um, forgive me for going for a few minutes later. This is this is great stuff. And we were talking about why Christ had to be a virgin. He, or excuse me, had to be born of a virgin. Christ had to be born of a virgin to be the sinless Son of God, the perfect sacrifice. And of course, that doctrine is being attacked. But going back to our, our verse in Micah 5, 2, he will be a ruler. He will be sent forth. He will be going uh, from everlasting his goings are from. Remember we sing it and also in, in Isaiah 14. And elsewhere. The child was born in Bethlehem. But the son is from everlasting. You know the prophetic word of God. You know where Herod was told the child would be born? Do you know where that's found? Say it to yourselves, Matthew chapter 2. Let me read it to you. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, because Herod the king, was, he heard this, he was troubled that a king would be born. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, by the way, the scribes are one that, that, that had studied meticulously uh, the word of God and copied. And they inquired of the people where the Christ was to be born. Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is one of those prophecies that it was common today in uh, Palestinianism to say that Jesus was a Palestinian. Is that right? How do we know that? How do we know that he was not a Palestinian? He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the scriptures. We know where he was born. Isn't that a marvel that the, that the leaders came and said to Nicodemus, when he says, doesn't our law even tell us that we need to hear him out before judgment? He goes, look for yourself. No prophets arisen out of Galilee. Arisen. He didn't arise out of Galilee. He rose out of Bethlehem of Judea. But he plainly goes forth from everlasting. What God is saying here, that I myself will send not only a Savior, but a ruler. I will accomplish my covenant for you. And I'll end right there. I think that's uh, really, really telling at this point in the, in the Scripture. Everything points to Jesus Christ. That's why the armies of the world that are gathered together in this campaign called Armageddon, their hatred is going to be to a peak level. And when Christ pierces the clouds and comes down as lightning from the east into the west, all of the earth will see him. They will turn and try to annihilate this God. Satan's one last final attempt to overthrow the government of God. We read that in Isaiah 14. One last go attempt to um, govern the earth, if they will. Oh yeah, he'll have a last attempt a thousand years after that, when he gets released from the bottom, bottomless pit, and he gives charge over the nation. That's a short-lived. That's not a campaign. That's a short-lived uh, example of the absolute authority of God. And we have to ask one question, this, and I'll end with this question. Is God our ultimate authority? If he is not your ultimate authority, 
You must decide today on what you are because what are going to do with him. Because if he is not your ultimate authority and the ruler in your life, then you are, are committing treason. <laughs> you are calling him Lord, and by that title, he should be Lord and Master of everything. And that is what we're learning here in Micah. By this time, the nation was in a bad, bad spot, in a bad place. We're going to go on in, in, in next week and, and see uh, in the next few verses, especially in Ezekiel chapter 34, explains the shepherding aspect of the Son of God explicitly. We're going to see that a child is born to us. Yes, a son is given to us, but the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Why don't we have prophecy? Why, why, is it, why don't we have prophecy? Because we are, prophecy is God's immutable fact that he not only is, has the ages in the palm of his hand, but that this word is true. Now people are attacking it. Does anybody have any, any questions before we close? Yeah, I'm passionate about this. You know, and, I, and I ask that those that are listening would, would really consider that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Don't go anymore calling him Lord when you know that he isn't Lord of your life. Don't be going around relishing in your sin, having that secret sin, thinking that nobody knows when he knows all along. Because he is worthy of all of our life. Cam, would you pray, please? Thank you, Father in Heaven, for the wonderful future that we have, unspeakable and indescribable to us, through the glimpses of it in the future in the, in the scriptures. Yeah, thank you, Lord. And thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Israel and that same faithfulness we depend on in our own lives for our future as well. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Creator and our Redeemer. Amen.